We're glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, man, we're glad that you guys are watching online. We've got several new families. We want to welcome you to our house today, and it's so good to be in the house of God. Uh, man, uh, I'm sorry about Andrew's opening joke, you know, about the end of the year. So uh, just by the way, uh, I just want you to know you're here today. You've got perfect attendance for the whole year. I don't know where he gets that crap, but anyway, uh, so uh, anyway, we're glad you guys are here this morning, and uh, man, you got to love Mississippi, don't you? Yesterday, man, it was out at 83 degrees, Stanley getting a little bit of a tan going on, and by the afternoon, I'd survived tornadoes, and tonight, I'm going to be shoveling snow. Only in Mississippi can you walk through that uh, genre of life, man. you got to love living in Mississippi. Uh, what a great place to live. But anyway, uh, we're glad that you guys are here today. And one last thing before we get into the message this morning, uh, this is for Ernie and a bunch of the other jerks in our church. This is not Belen's sweater. All right, so I'm just saying, idiot. Uh, anyway, I just want you to know this is a man's sweater. Anyway, uh, so, uh, all right, uh, so <laughs> uh, uh, the online people are going, what? All right, uh, anyway, we're glad you guys are here this morning. And uh, have you guys ever, ever been defiant? Anybody in here? Ever been defiant? Yeah, well, you live there. Uh, anyway, uh, have, you ever, <laughs> have you ever been defiant? Do you ever, well, if, even if you haven't, if you're self, I mean, you're that super sweet, sugary person, you know, it gets on everybody's nerves. Uh, the, uh, even if you haven't been, I guarantee you, you, if you have kids or grandkids, have you not seen defiance played out? So you know what defiance looks like. If you've ever raised kids or grandkids, you know it. Now we got you talking. Uh, maybe you're a boss here this morning, and you've got that employee. You can't wait for Monday morning because you know everybody's got that one employee at your work that's just that guy. Uh, and so, Or maybe you're an employee, and you've got that boss that's that guy. Uh, so you know what defiance looks like. Uh, man, we live in a world of defiance, so we get all of that. And... Um, you know, we've had, to, so, well, let me illustrate it to you this way. So I was talking about defiance, and you're going to see the message here in just a second. So I was, uh, some of you, if you've watched social media at all, you've watched Tanner and all of his Tanner escapades, and so Tanner put all this out there, so I'm just summarizing what happened, uh, the true story. Uh, so uh, I was at, uh, I was in Start Vegas uh, this week watching Arkansas play basketball against the Bulldogs, and we were up in the cheap seats, we paid five bucks, and so there's only about 2,000 people there, small attendance, and so we're sitting up there by ourselves, James, you know, there, and we're watching in the ball game, and the Mississippi State player gets fouled, goes to the free throw line, and of course they have a line there. For those of you that are Mississippi, don't know about basketball, which is God's favorite sport. And so they're standing there at the line. All I have to say to prove it is look at the bowl games in Mississippi, okay? You guys should have been basketball fans. Anyway, I am sorry to bring that up, but anyway, so here we are standing at the line. The guy's getting ready to shoot a free throw, and all of a sudden, and you know there's a line there because you can't cross it, all of a sudden, I've got Tanner on my left side, Belen's on my right side, and all of a sudden, and, and when your team is shooting a free throw, you know, you get quiet because you want them to concentrate on shooting the shot. He has literally got his hand in, you know, uh, the B format. He's getting ready to launch a pretty, pretty shot. I mean, just all the form just right. And as he's getting ready to launch it, Tanner screams from the upper deck of the Hump Arena and yells, his foot is on the line! And I kid you not, my ear was bleeding on my left side. And as I turned to look at Belinda to see if she heard that, 
I couldn't find her because she had crawled under the seat. His was the line. There you go. <laughs> yeah, not like I don't remember that all week. <laughs> Can't sleep. Anyway, and all of a sudden, I kid you not, two Arkansas players look up there and grin that are on the court all the way down there, and that guy launches the shot, and it was a brick. It looked like Andrew playing basketball. I mean, he totally bricked the shot. I mean, it just like broke the backboard and missed it. And anyway, defiance happens at all levels. It happens in all situations in our life. If you've raised kids, you know what defiance is like. Uh, I would walk you guys through, um, you know, my personal stories. Let me just give you a quick summary. And it looks differently for your different personalities. For some of you, you're nice in your personality, but you have defiance no matter what your personality type is. I promise you, it's in you, and it comes out of you. And, and we're going to talk to you about what it should look like this morning. But let me give you an example of my kids. We've got three boys that were raised, and uh, all three different personalities. All three did defiance completely different. Our oldest son, start with him, uh, Aaron, he was, uh, you know, he was the kind that he was complicit. We're going to talk about legalism today. Uh, in those days, we raised early on with our kids and the legalism crap and all that stuff. So Aaron was afraid that if he did anything wrong, he was going to die and go to hell immediately. Uh, so, you know, he was that kid. And. And uh, he just didn't do stuff overtly, ever got in trouble at school, Andrew Gag, all of those kind of things. But what he did behind the scenes is, we didn't know about till later, but he would do stuff that was just like weird defiance. He would go to Walmart, and he had two idiot friends that grew up in his church, Ryan and Devin. And I mean that sincerely. <laughs> and uh, they would throw a football at Walmart. Where's Kevin at? Arrest him. And they would throw a football over this from the sporting goods over the top of the shelves Gary all the way and see if they could reach the pharmacy and one guy would stand there and they would toss it and uh, don't do that and anyway uh, and then their other favorite thing was is they love to drive through Chick-fil-a backwards in their car and to see the lady's face or the girl's face or the guy's face as they would check out and get their order and go have a nice day. <laughs> anyway, and so they love to just do stupid, defiant type stuff that we find out later. And then, uh, well, we, I need a whole year to talk about Andrew's defiance, so we're going to give him a break today, and we're going to bypass that, because uh, you've all heard those stories, and they're just endless, uh, and it's why I'm bald, and Blint has gray hair. Number, and then we got to Adam, our third son. So Adam was the one that had watched his brothers endlessly get in trouble and, and do all those kind of things. So Adam comes along, and he's the laid-back one, and everything's great in life. And so, you know, he's going. So he's 15, and he's riding in a minivan, and he has a 15-year-old moment. You all know what I'm talking about, parents with teenagers. And he smarts his mom off on the way home from school in the minivan. And Belen, being Belen, she just looks at him, Mark, and she just says, Listen, Adam. I'm worn out. Andrew's taken my life from me. <laughs> I just don't have the energy to do this anymore. So please don't put me through anymore. Would you just do what I say? And in classic Adam, if you grew up in our church, know his line was, okay, mom. And he never smarted her off again. That was cool and that was nice till he got to college and became a young man. And then it was just a total placate to anything that she, Adam, you need to go to class. 
Okay, mom. Adam, you need to uh, study. Okay, mom. Adam, you need to do this. Okay, mom. And then he did whatever he wanted. So defiance happens at all kinds of different levels. It happens in different ways in your life and my life. And this morning, uh, I want to give you, those are some negative examples. But today, I want to talk to you about some positive examples of defiance that are good. And, and, and we're going to make the case for this this morning. This is what we're going to build off of in the text today is that I think about my three favorite examples of defiance done right. And the first one is, is Rosa Parks. And she gets on the bus and praise God Almighty, she doesn't give up her seat for the white elitist people. You go, girl. Changed our country's history that needed to be changed. Number two I think about the young man in China who stood up to the communist China as the tanks rolled in, and there he stood and just said, heck no, this is wrong, this is tyrant behavior, and one young man stood up to the communist China and said, this is wrong, and the world needs to remember and know about it. But you know what my favorite example of defiance done right is? And I'm a little bit older, and for those of us in the house who remember 9-11, anybody in here this morning? Remember the flight that we never talk about, Flight 93, Todd Beamer, Mark. Todd Beamer watches as the terrorists take over the plane. And on Flight 93, that was a little different than the ones that flew into the towers, is Todd Beamer stands up. Defiance done right. And he says, y'all with me? Let's roll. And they go in and they take down the Muslim terrorists that were fixing to fly a plane into our capital to take out our president. It goes down in a field in Pennsylvania, but our White House is still standing. And you want to know why? Because if one man had the courage to defy and defiance done right. This morning, we're going to look into the Holy Word of God. And you're going to see a Jesus that some of you in your southern moralistic view that good people go to heaven. Church, nice dressed people all go to heaven. You don't find that in the book. You're going to see a Jesus today that's going to upset some of you all. I told Andrew as I walked in, maybe my last Sunday here. But I'm going to share with you a Jesus of the Bible because it's what's up next. The cool thing about coming to, to, to oh man, where did Tupelo Freewell come from? Dang, uh, you talk about, I talk about legal, anyway. Uh, uh, talk about going back old school today. Oh my gosh, I am going to be in so much trouble this morning. Belen, just go ahead and pack. Uh, so here's the thing this morning. What we do at our church is we just preach through the Bible. And unlike so many churches that just try to tell you how to feel good about yourself, we take up what's next. And what's next is Luke chapter 6. And this is how much God loves you all. In his sovereignty, in his divine holy wisdom, God loves Connect Church so much that a year and a half ago, he would, land, he would uh, allow me to plan for this sermon series a year and a half ago that would be in the Gospel of Luke. And what God knew on this Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, before I start a new sermon series next week, about making healthy choices in your life and I'm not talking about eating right or getting skinny chopped but I'm talking about helping us <laughs> sorry man uh, I'm talking about uh, making spiritual choices that help us be healthier in our Christian life but what, what, what God knew a text I've never preached out of a sermon 
that you've never heard before, I promise you, defiance done right. Luke chapter 6. But you know what? It's up next. And because we don't shy away from the Word of God, Danny, we just cover it when it's in the book, and this is what's next. So defiance done right. We're going to see a Jesus this morning that is openly challenging the legalism of his day. If you think that you won't raise the ire of legalists by ignoring the rules, then you've never studied Luke chapter 6. If you think you can simply do what is right, mind your own business, and legalism won't affect you, then you do not understand the Bible, and you're lying to yourself. Legalists will ostracize you. They will make you feel miserable because they're miserable. Let me say that again. Legalists want everybody to be as miserable as they are. That's why they judge you and talk about you. And I know because I have been one and I'm recovering one. And when I say recovering, I still struggle with legalism. Legalists will single you out. They will accuse you and mischaracterize you. They will label you and try to convince you that you're crazy at best, but most importantly, you're sinful. Legalists, again, want everybody to be as miserable as they are. The fact is, if you don't want your life to be ruled by legalists, you will have to defy their self-appointed authority as Jesus does in our text this morning. He shows us how to have the right attitude as we defy legalism and stay committed to the Father's mission. You hear what I just said this morning? The reason you need to defy legalism because it will rob you of following the Father's mission of the gospel. When you are more worried about judging one another, you lose sight of the gospel. Amen, Kevin? It's so easily done. The Pharisees never doubted. And, and uh, as I say this stuff right now, I want you today, so I don't tick you all off and lose you at the beginning here this morning, too bad, because we'll get there. I want you to think about the legalism you've been exposed to in your life. I want you to think about some of the bad experiences that you've had in church and maybe that you're still perpetuating. And now listen to the story of the Pharisees, because some things don't change even after 2,000 years. The Pharisees believed that they were self-appointed authorities for the Torah, the Word of God. In other words, we ain't changing any of this. We've been called to defend it. Jesus is threatening the law because of the way he's living and the way he's doing. And so you know what we got to do? We got to get us a new We got to get us a new Messiah. We got to fight. We got to get rid of this Messiah because we don't want anybody threatening our control, our lockdown because I'm telling you what, my grandparents and my aunt my Aunt Pappy, my, uh, my Pappy and uh, my Aunt Susie, they were in this church, and they founded this church, Rebecca, and I'll guarantee you, this is the way they did it, and this is the way we're going to do it. And so the Pharisees 
believed that they were the defenders and Jesus was somehow desecrating the law because he loved people and he healed them. And here's where the real rub came. Jesus did not give them respect, Southerners. He didn't fit into their ranks. His claims of being Messiah rubbed them the wrong way. He got off on the wrong foot with them, and he continued to plow through them because he refused to follow their power control. He, gave them, he had a dismissive attitude to them. He brushed aside their, their over-the-top traditions, and he stood on the Word of God in the Scriptures. And then ultimately, what really upset the legalist is Jesus healed the kind of people that they hated. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus loved and healed the kind of people they hated. And on top of that, <laughs> and on top of that, he forgave them of their sins. And then he hung out with sinners. He forgave them of their sins. And he hung out with sinners. And in today's text, Jesus draws a line. And he says, no more. This is the difference between legalism and grace. And hear me this morning. What's going to happen next as I read this text? And it's scary. The Pharisees are going to accuse Jesus of being liberal. The opposite of liberalism is not legalism. If you're not a legalist, you're not a liberal. That's what they accuse Jesus of. How dare anyone have the authority, the stupidity, and the audacity to accuse Jesus of being a liberal because he didn't follow the law the way that they wanted the law followed. Jesus was not a liberal. Jesus was not a legalist. Jesus stayed on the mission of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. And that's what we should do the same. Would you stand with me this morning as we read this holy text? A different text, a flipping different sermon. Here it goes. And on the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees, legalists, for those of you that are not familiar with Bible terms, what are you doing? Uh, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read? Boom. Just literally sticking it in their face. Have you all not read what David did when he was hungry? And he and those that were with him? And he entered the house of God, and he took and ate of the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any of the priests to eat, and he also gave it to those with him. And he said unto them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And if you could have heard a pin drop at this point, they were like, Kill him! I mean, seriously, this was the most offensive thing they could possibly have said. And then on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, 
and he was teaching, and a man who was right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he could heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said unto the man with a withered hand, you come and stand here. I mean, this was in your face moment. And he arose and he stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Ouch. To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around them, all he said to them, said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. And then how do you know if you're a legalist? But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do with Jesus. You may be seated. A wise mentor pastor once told me, Many years ago, he said, Brother Terry, he said, when you're young, but he said, you're going to come to a day when you're going to find yourself in the trenches. And boy, was he not kidding. And he said, when you're in the trenches of being a pastor on the front lines, he said, man, you better learn to choose your battles wisely. That was great advice. I wish I'd listened to it. Because man, over the years as a pastor, I have got the scars to prove what it is to go up against people that are on power trips in churches and that want to control and do stuff. If you make any changes, man. Uh, But unfortunately, there have been times, Terry, where some of the scars were self-inflicted because I was an idiot. And my legalism showed itself in those early days, unfortunately, way too much. And I apologize to the people in my first couple of churches and a couple of you here. Uh, the truth of the matter is, I made some stupid choices. I remember in my first church that I made a rule. <laughs> I was so stupid. I made a rule, James, and it said, if you're going to serve on the board of my church, because I'm Terry Pierce, the lead pastor at Thomaston Church with 23 people, and I was 23 years of age, pastoring the mega ministry uh, and uh, and I made a rule to let them know I'm head honcho now because that's what we legalists do I want you to bow down and worship me and so I made a rule and said if you don't attend so many amount of services per week then I'm fixing to let you know about it and we getting another board member put that in your pipe and smoke it well, we couldn't do that because we were Baptists and we don't believe. Anyway, right, and so anyway, uh, and so uh, now you can chew it. And uh, I never will forget in my first church, we had this 76-year-old lady. Her husband told me they don't smoke and they don't hang out with those that do. I went to visit her in her house. She was chewing tobacco. She would tell me, her husband told me, you better not change anything in our church because I tell you, I was here before you came, Thomas Wells. He said, and you'll be here when you're gone. And Ms. Vastai Wells, she had that name, Vastai Wells. Uh, and she was 76 years old. And I went up and knocked on the door, you know, new pastor in town visiting her. And I'm telling you, she swallowed her chew. She was like, oh, oh, but man, and then I didn't know any better. I didn't know what it was. I'm from the north. I kick a little gold bowl that was sitting down there below it, and it just spills out. There's some nasty stuff came out of that thing. I'm just telling you. Anyway, I had no idea. That's not part of the sermon. So here's the thing. That's how stupid legalism is, though. And so uh, I go into my first church, and here's what the rules I set up. You, you know, I'm in my first church. This is a Baptist church, and this is the way we used to do church. We had Sunday school at 10. Because Jesus and the disciples had Sunday school at 10. 
We never had Sunday school until 1930, but Jesus and the disciples did. And so I'm just telling you, in the King James Version, you look it up. Uh, and so we had Sunday school at 10, and then you had church at 11. None of this, what, 10, what, what time do we, I know what time we get out, but what time do we start? Uh, 10.30, none of this 10.30 crap. Man, we had church at 11, because Jesus had church at 11. So we had Sunday school at, at 10, we had church at 11. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you change that? You would have thought when I recommended here that we go to two services that I had cut out the book of Revelations and throw it away. Because, man, you cannot have two services in a Baptist church. Jesus only had one. And so anyway, we had Sunday school at 10, we had church at 11, and then we had CTS. Some of you old-timers will remember, you had to go to CTS at 6 o'clock on Sunday night, church training services, and so that's where the really good Christians went. Uh, and so the good Christians came, oh my gosh, I'm getting fired. Uh, so uh, the good Christians came at 6 o'clock on CTS, and then if you were really committed, I got up and preached at 7, a really lame message because I hadn't had time to study because I've been at church all day. Yeah, I knew that was going to drop. So the truth of the matter is, and you didn't want to hear it anyway, uh, by 7 o'clock you've been at church for eight hours. And then on Wednesday night you had to meet at 7. None of this 6.30 liberal stuff like our church has. You met at 7 o'clock on Wednesday because Jesus and the disciples did. And so those were the rules. And so I made up, you know, these things that you had to go to so many of these services. And by the way, you had to spend 20 hours on Sunday at church. And do you know how good of Christians that made? I would kill to get some of y'all show up once a month. Oh, did I say that out loud? Anyway, uh, do you know how many good Christians that made? Here's the thing. We went to church for 20 hours on Sunday. We had all the knowledge in the world, Jonathan. But nobody in that church had won anybody to Christ in years. Do you know what was in our baptistry in our first church? Blen will testify to this. That's where we kept the artificial flowers. Do you all remember a church in the day? We had the communion table up front and center. You should have seen when I asked our church here to change that. Whoa. My goodness, the Ark of the Covenant fell out of heaven. I'm just telling you, but anyway, we had, uh, we had the communion table up front because you had to have the communion and you had to have the big giant wood pulpit and, and all of that. And, and, and why? Because all the, Baptist, all the flowers were kept in the baptistry. We did that here. Uh, anyway, uh, and, and so the, ba the flowers were all in the baptistry. And Aunt Nell, Aunt Nell gave the right, red and white flowers that had to be put on the communion table on the third Sunday of the month, not on the second Sunday, not on the fourth Sunday. Her husband died on the third Sunday, and the red and white flowers had to go on the communion table on the third Sunday, and I voted and recommended one time at a business meeting that we change it to the second Sunday, and Aunt Nell came apart, and I almost got fired because we wanted to move the red and white flowers to the second Sunday. And we had a knockdown drag out in this church when one of our families wanted to have a flower on a certain Sunday when their husband died or their Aunt Susie died or whatever, their cat died. And, and, and we literally had a knockdown drag out in this church in a business meeting. And, and I'm trying to arbitrate between the two families fighting over what flower we're going to put on that Sunday while the whole world goes to hell. And we've never won anybody to Jesus, but we're worried about our stupid flowers. That's legalism. The baptistry had so much dust on it. We can't get people baptized, Mark, because we've got to keep the flowers in the baptistry. Legalism destroys our lives, our community of faith. It was so ingrained in me 
You guys never watch this except for the TBS version. But there was a movie out of several years ago called Joe Dirt. And the DJ interviews. <laughs> Shut up, Lynn. Uh, the, I know you've watched it. So uh, the, uh, the DJ interviews Joe Dirt, and he says, <laughs> it's my favorite line movie, so I'm redneck, and he looks at Joe Dirt and he goes, so you're telling me that you can't even make decisions in life, that you're so ingrained with white trash DNA <laughs> that this is how you look and this is how you live your life. And I feel like Joe Dirt this morning. Not that I'm white trash DNA. Uh, let me clarify that. Uh, I feel so Joe Dirt that uh, I'm so... My DNA is legalism. My DNA is that my default position is that it's so ingrained in me that I continue to struggle with it. And here's the story of Jesus. Let's dig deeper this morning into the story of, of Jesus. And then uh, I've got a few minutes left, and we're going to apply this, and I want to get to it. So I'm going to do this sermon so different. If you're new and here today, just know it'll be a little different, but not much. In, anyway, next Sunday. But, but let me just tell you in a narrative form what happens in our text today, and then I really want to speak spend the time applying it to your life and mine, and I have no idea how this is going to go because it didn't go like I planned it in first service. It probably won't in this service, but God's got a word for you guys, so just hang with me, please. Don't tune out. So in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is walking through the fields with his disciples, and they've been busy ministering to people, and unlike legalists and Pharisees, you don't care about people you carry about your traditions and your rules. And Jesus and the disciples have been ministering to people and taking care of their needs. They're hungry and they're tired. Legalists are never hungry and tired because it's all about defending their rules and their traditions. And they don't give a rip about how people are dying and going to hell and taking the gospel to them. Did I mention that? And so Jesus takes him out into a farmer's field. Now, you and I wouldn't think anything about that. I barely get you guys to show up at church on Sunday. Thank you for those that are here. But, um, and you guys do everything else but this. But there's a thing called Deuteronomy 23. And in Deuteronomy 23, God established the Sabbath. And he said, not legalist, but he said, I want you to take one day a, a week. And by the way, this is good practice for all of us. You need to take one day a week where you get your backside up, you go to church, and you just enjoy a day of rest. That does it, and, and the reason he established it, because he knew how stupid all of us were, put down your phones, quit trying to work and, and make yourself happy, and just relax and take a day to filter down, appreciate who I am, do what we just sang about in those two songs, remember who God is, that God's in control of this, and then have a day to worship me and have a day to just unwind, unfilter, so I can bring you back up and go face the front lines of hell every day, but you need the day to be in my house and to be encouraged and strengthened. Amen? So Jesus and the disciples were fulfilling Deuteronomy 23. But now the Pharisees and legalists wasn't just good enough that you had to have a day of rest and to, and to unwind. They had added all this other crap to it. So they come alongside and they see Jesus out in the field feeding the disciples. Now what also happened in Deuteronomy 23 is in the law had a provision that if you were wealthy enough to own farmland, 
you created a part of the field where you left it and you didn't combine it. And basically, what you did is you were helping feed the poor. They had this really cool system back in the Bible that said, you know what, we don't need government to take care of our people. We're going to do it for each other. So they left a whole part of their field open for the poor people to come. And by the way, you didn't go into the field according to the law and get a goodie bag and take it home with you. You ate what was in the field that day, and then you walked away, and that's how you were fed if you were poor. And Jesus capitalizes on that, makes the argument to the Pharisees, this is how we take care of the poor. We're not violating the law and the Pharisees will have nothing of it. Jesus has broken the tradition of the Sabbath, and he looks at them in the text. And I don't know where we have it at, Chris, but he looks at them, and he says, but I am Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus declares to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I am bigger than your rules in your tradition. And then probably what happens in the latter part of this paragraph is another week has passed, maybe two, and what happens next is Jesus is now on the Sabbath once again. He's talking and teaching, and on a different occasion, uh, Jesus sees a crippled man. And you know what the legalists are doing? They're sitting around and they're, and they're griping about Jesus and they're doing what they do best. They feel threatened by Jesus. So they're trying to figure out how to take him down. Now hear me this morning. And they're trying to figure out how to, and they're criticizing him. And Jesus knows what they're doing. And this is defiance done right. And now this is going to blow some of y'all's mind because you all have, some of you, a few of you all have this attitude that we should never call people out and we need to be nice. And if you're always nice to people, are you listening to me? If you're always nice to people, they'll do the right thing. Well, then you don't understand Jesus. Because listen to me, some of you all in your personalities and your southern charm need to get over yourselves because the truth of the matter is that's not the God of the Bible. Jesus was defiant. He calls them out because you know what? You can be nice to some people and you're never going to get anywhere. Sometimes it takes being in their face and calling them out. Jesus brings the crippled man into their midst and while they're sitting there criticizing him, he says, put out your hand in the text, and Jesus heals the crippled man defiantly, openly in their face, Miss Marie, and saying, on the Sabbath, you say I can't do this. What's more important for me to do, to follow your rules or to heal somebody? And they are living. Now go to verse 14 for me, or verse 11, Chris, and here's how they respond. This is what legalists do, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So this is our text, and this is the story that we apply to our lives. Now here's what I want to close with. Dr. Danny Aiken, great Bible scholar, president of Southeastern Seminary, I'm going to borrow three of his points this morning to close out this message. Hang with me, Chris. And Dr. Danny Aiken does it in a way to help us sort of relate and to figure out how to apply this text. He says, here's three steps to being a good legalist. So I'm going to give you three steps to being a good legalist, and then I'm going to talk to you about why you don't want to live this way. Number one is we require everyone, this is what a good legalist does, require everyone to follow our personal religious example 
and then we judge them when they fail. <laughs> That's so good. We require everyone to follow our personal religious example, and then we judge them when they fail. The truth of the matter is, is this is how we live our lives. And, and I have struggled so much to know how to do this. Can I just talk to you guys this morning as we close this out? I'm going to be very pastoral. Legalism is keeping you all from enjoying Jesus. And you've got to stop it. You try to follow the rules. And you want a Christianity, and you want a pastor, and you want a church, and you want a Jesus that says, if I check off A, B, and C, then somehow that makes me a good Christian. And we have this mythological belief, and you cannot, there's not Bible, but we have this belief, do we not, that the good people show up to church here, and they do this or whatever, and, and we're all trying to compare ourselves to one another, and, we, and the reason a legalist judges everybody is because I'm looking for the bad seed. I'm looking to compare myself to you or you or you, and, and I know what you are doing, and I know what you are doing. I feel much better about myself, and that means absolutely nothing with where you're at with God. Stop it. And the truth is, because of your legalism, because your inbred DNA of legalism, you quit doing your devotions. Because you know what? I failed today. I failed and didn't do them last week. I didn't do them last month. And so then you get mad and your legalism says, well, I've got to catch up and I've got to stop it. You won't do a D group. You won't join a discipleship group because I've never led a Bible study and I don't know what to say to other people. Stop it! Do you know what a discipleship group is? It's not a flipping Sunday school class and nobody called you to be the teacher. A discipleship group is simply this. You get out the Word of God and two or three of you who need to get off your butts and do this this week. And you need to start a discipleship group where you care enough about one another and knowing that I'm not good at my devotions and I'm not good at my prayer time and I'm going to get together with John, Susie, and Billy or whatever and I'm going to get together with three guys and three girls and we're going to go through the Bible together. We're going to use the church reading plan or the Gospel of John and we're going to meet every other week and do a hear journal and then this is what we do that's so hard and we're going to get together for an hour and we're going to discuss what we read we're going to talk about how it affects our life, and then we're going to pray. Oh, but you can't do that because you're what? That incompetent that you can't read? Talk about what you need in your life and pray? Put up the screen because I'm fixing to get ticked. Here's the thing. Stop making excuses and start making changes. I, I don't know what else to do for you guys. What's it going to take for you to spend time with Jesus every day? Stop making excuses and start making changes. 
There's a whole group of you that will not sign up for connect groups. We've made it as easy as we can. I don't know how to beg y'all to do this. Your, your legalism says, well, I'm afraid that if I get in a group that they're going to find out about me and I'm just not comfortable around people. Stop it! You need the fellowship of other people loving on you, pouring into you. All you've got to do is stop making excuses and sign up online right now, today, and join a connect group and be involved in other people pouring into you and your heart and your life. And you know what it'll do for you? It'll hold you accountable. Not legalism. I'm talking about the Word of God supernaturally building a relationship with you. Stop making your flipping excuses and start making changes this year. This past week, I met with my discipleship group. Me and Josh, Brooks, Tony, we're sitting in there, and we're on John 5 this week, and this is what the Word of God does for you. We're in John chapter 5. This is what the Word of God wants to do in your all's life. We're in John chapter 5, and we're talking about legalism, and we're talking about the Pharisees, and honestly, you know, Brooks said, he said, man, this is sort of a boring chapter. Have any of y'all ever had a boring chapter in your devotional reading? But you know what legalism says to y'all? Are you listening to me? You know what legalism says? Well, I didn't get anything out of that today. So what? Legalism says, I didn't get fed about me, me, me. You do it anyway, and you watch what Jesus does the next time. So here's what happens in John 5 with my D group. The guys were struggling. We didn't get much out of it. And then the guys just started talking about the application, and here's what we got out of it. The guys were sharing, and I'm going to get killed for this, but we started sharing, and we started talking about our wives. Now, this was not Josh. He just got married. He doesn't know any better. I was so much trouble. And we were just talking about the other three because we're old. And we're talking about our wives' life, our wives' health issues. That's dangerous. And the other guys are just really going, (laughs) and they're just talking about the frustrations of the health issues of our wives. It's John chapter 5. It's on Phariseeism. I am a perpetual legalist who continues to struggle with the stupidity of this disease, sin. And they're talking about their wives, and we're saying, God, show us how to do better at loving them through this season of their life. And all of a sudden, tears started streaming down my face, and they go, what's wrong with you? You haven't even talked about Belen yet. And I go, well, you're, you're not as scared as... Anyway, uh, and <laughs> I said, I'm not stupid. No. <laughs> and you know what the Holy Spirit did in the room? And this is what you all are missing as legalistic Baptist morons? Is the Holy Spirit convicted this moron that I'm a selfish, whatever term you want to put behind this, but I am a selfish dog. And what I was feeling sorry for myself because Belen has this and Belen has that and she has all of this and that and more. And it's not the same 
And in John 5, that had nothing to do with freaking marriage, the Holy Spirit used my discipleship group to point out how wrong I am. And I just confessed to my group, I got to go home and love my wife better. I need to be a better husband because that's what the Holy Spirit does if you're in the Word. It's not about you getting a divine revelation every time you're reading. He just takes the mess you're in, and no matter whether it applies to it or not, he supernaturally says, let me fix your stupidity. Let me change your attitude. Let me help you see who I am. You need to be in a discipleship group. Enough of the stupid excuses start one. You need to be in a connect group. Join one, and you need to get your hear journal on the way out today, and you need to start to small tomorrow. I don't care how many times you're behind. I don't care what books you've led. We're in the New Testament. All of us together, get a Bible app. Get your own program. I don't give a rip what it is, but get into the Word of God and let Him love on you. I don't know what else to say to you. I'm tired of trying to help you out of your messes and your problems. Tanner, come on out. Now, here's the thing. We're going to skip the last two points. And let me close with this. What we need you guys to do is we need you to remember what Alan sang about just a minute ago. When they sang about the fact that I come to worship and I spend time with God because he reminds me of his promises. That's what the word of God, that's what hear journals, that's what connect groups do, that's what discipleship groups do, is they remind you that in the hell you're going through, the COVID that you're dealing with, the new year that you're frustrated with, God has promised to love you and take care of you. I was talking with Bubba and Danny and us three old guys. How did we ever get there, guys? And we're talking about 2022's gotta be better. For all three of us, it sucked. In and out of hospitals or diagnosis, heart surgery, spinal surgery, and a car wreck. Please let 2022 be better. But I'm still here this morning. And you want to know why? Because in the Word, on those days that I wanted to give up, Kevin, on those days that I wanted to quit, on the days that I didn't get anything out of my devotion, in the days that it was just God was silent, I read anyway, and I talked to God, and the devil told me, man, you are sorry. You suck as a preacher. People are going to be ticked off at you for the sermon you preached today. Man, look at all the stuff you're going through. And you know what the Word of God said to me? Tell the devil to go back to hell where he came from. I love you. I died for you. I'm the way maker. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. I got your back. And that's what he wants to do in your life every day. Why are you running from that? Why would you make excuses in your D group, in your connect group, and in your daily quiet time? 
would you just allow Jesus to tell you he is here, he is the way maker, and he's got you. Anybody else join me? I make it a commitment. That's where I want to live in 2022. Would you stand with me this morning as we sing? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like to answer, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.